there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Also coming up too is um, we're going to have a movie night here in a couple weeks on a Friday night. Just have some pizza and there's a couple of good uh, Christian movies out. I'm not exactly sure which one we're going to pick, but I'll give you guys some information as we go up. We have to head down to Southern California in a couple weeks too. I'm not sure what weekend we're going to do that from help out my mom and do a couple things down there. So that's kind of coming up. Um, also, uh, if you check out the, uh, go to our website, the ccwatsonville.com, and then you go to Biker Church. If you go to um, the videos over there on the YouTube channel, you'll see uh, the Biker Blessing last week, two weeks ago. I lose track of that. <laughs> anyway, the video is up, and it's pretty good. There's probably like 60, 70 bikes there that wow. came, and it was uh, pretty packed. It was it was great, so we had an opportunity to minister to quite a few people out there um, uh, at the Biker Church. And so uh, continue to pray, too, because uh, we use the um, uh, Watsonville Nazarene, Nazarene Church. They call it Watts Naz on Green Valley, but the pastor that's there currently is leaving at the end of this month. And, um, you know, she's been very open to um, having the Biker Church there, but... We don't know what the new pastor is going to say, but anyway, so just keep that in your prayers as well. Um, there's a good place for them to meet. All right, well, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. Father, now as we come before you, and uh, Lord, uh, just um, open up our hearts to receive your word and um, all that you want to speak to us through it, Father. We know that you, you love us so much that you have... Um, so much in store for us, and there's so much you always want to pour into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, Lord. Um, and we ask this morning that you'd fill us to overflowing with uh, all that you want to speak to us. For we ask this to in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in First Corinthians 13, and of course, I think that probably just rings some bells uh, with you almost immediately. Because if you've been to church for any length of time, you've heard somebody quote from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, you know, maybe you've heard a few verses, maybe some teachings, and particularly if you do topical um, type, been to churches where they teach top, topical type messages, you know, they'll, they'll dip in and out of 1 Corinthians 13 on a pretty frequent basis because um, there's a lot there. But... Really, um, to take 1 Corinthians 13 in context, you know, it's sandwiched between uh, don't be ignorant about the spiritual gifts, and he's spent, we spent a lot of time talking about the spiritual gifts, and then there's, you know, at the end of chapter 20, or end of chapter 12, verse 31, you know, he'll say, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And so, you know, he's still talking about the gifts. He's still talking about what they are, what they do, how they work. And then, you know, we have these 13 or so verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And then he's going to continue in chapters 14 talking about the spiritual gifts and how they work in the church and all those things. So really the, 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 the context of that chapter, although... You know, it's not wrong to necessarily go and refer to it and take application from it and so forth, but really the context of 
this chapter speaking about love has to do with the use of spiritual gifts uh, in the body of Christ. And uh, uh, we titled the message, Attitude you know, Matters, because basically we're talking about these spiritual gifts and you could have great spiritual gifts, but if you have the wrong attitude um, in, in these gifts or in your actions as Christian service, they mean nothing. And attitude counts for everything. And so, again, that's really the, the, the whole uh, context of this chapter. And, you know, for our purposes, we'll keep it in that context because that's really where we, fit, where we fit in all this. Now, again, it's not that it doesn't have application. I, you know, just married Patrick and Laura um, a week ago. A week ago. Monday. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, time gets... Uh, but, um, and, you know, I read some scripture verses from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in the context of marriage and context of love. So it's not like it doesn't have application outside of that, but really primarily it, it really is speaking about our attitudes and working in and through the spiritual gifts and, and the heart of the, of the believer in, in the body of Christ. And so, um, again, I just kind of want to make that, um, that, that very clear because at least you know what the context of it is and what it's really addressing primarily. Now, again, uh, as I said, we started out with don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. It's something we should know. And we all have spiritual gifts. We talked about that and we use them as God directs. And the result should always be that the church, the body of Christ, is edified or lifted up or encouraged. It's not to swell our egos. It's not to make us look more spiritual than somebody else. It's not that it doesn't have any other... Um, uh, uh, application to that. It's built it's for the mutual edification of everybody. It's not to look, oh, wow, that person has that gift, and look at the crowd he draws for that, and wow, he must be really spiritual, and that gift is really special, and it's, you know, so much better, and all that. It's not meant for that. It's meant for everybody. And then when people use it to elevate themselves or a ministry that they're leading or something, then, you know, things can get out of whack pretty quickly. And again, um, there's gifts that we have, and some of them are more prominent, some of them are less prominent, but we still they're all important and they all work together. And they're all very powerful and very important. And we need to um, remember that, but he's going to tell us through this whole chapter repeatedly that they have to be used, and, and, and the person who's using them or is doing those things has to have this heart of love or else they're useless. And, and that's a big thing to say. It really is. And again, verse 31, if you want to look at it, earnestly desire the best gifts. So we're talking about that at the end of chapter 12. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. So desire the gifts and the gifts that have a great impact on the church and the world, yes, but there's something more important than those. And then he says this in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I ha have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Um, again, he's addressing the, the Corinthian church who, as we know, and as we talked about, and we'll continue to talk about, they had um, uh, 
been using the gifts, and they were a church that, you know, the gifts were very important and were used uh, quite a bit throughout the service. As a matter of fact, I think if we looked at them today, in today's light, um, because he's going to address prophecy and, and tongues particularly, but particularly he's going to spend some time on tongues in chapter 14. I think in my own mind, I think it would be more like if you've been to some Pentecostal churches where you've seen the gift of tongues in a service, uh, you know, probably right now in some church in our community, you know, uh, you know, Sister Rebecca is standing up right now in the middle of the service and, and speaking in a tongue or something like that. And, uh, um, you know, if you've been in those services, you, you, you know what that's like. And I, and I think that's kind of how the Corinthian church looks. And, and you know, the, the, the Pentecostals tend to look at the gifts and particularly kind of focus on tongues as well. And uh, again, those are, they play a big part of their services and pretty much all their services and how they're doing. And I, I kind of look at the Corinthian church a little bit like that. At least that's how I do it in my own mind to kind of get a sense of it. Um, but, and that's all the gifts were in, in action, as Paul will say here. But the Corinthian church missed the motive and the goal of the gift. And that's what he's going to do. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about them and who they are and what they do with it. They really miss the, the motive behind it and the goal behind these gifts. And we can't miss that either. Um, you know, again, uh, he says in verse 1, you know, and we've been talking about these gifts, and so I won't go over what they mean because we've been talking about them in the past weeks. And if you want to review that, the, the messages are online there. But the first thing he says, if I, you know, uh, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels... And so, you know, if I, if I have that gift of tongues, and again, it can be talking about other languages, but primarily here, the language that uh, we commune with the Father. Um, it, we can commune with our Heavenly Father that goes beyond um, our, what our own language can. So, you know what it's like. Sometimes you're trying to express in prayer something that you just can't really articulate. You can't really come up with the words. You... you it just doesn't come out um, all that you want to say to the to the Lord, and 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 the gift of tongues has, is a, is that way to communicate on a deeper level in 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 this heavenly language, if you would, that that we can commune with the Father on a level that our, that language can't, and uh, and if you possess that. That's great. There's some great blessings for that. Paul will say here in, in the next chapter, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then he's going to give some instruction on that. So there's some great blessings with that gift as well. But again, um, uh, the, that gift was obviously used in the Corinthian church quite, quite a bit. And he said, listen, if you have that gift and you can communicate on that deep and intimate level and then you... At certain times, even within the body, you can, you can bring others into that, that, that deepness, of that intimacy and in the fellowship. But he said, but if you don't have love, it, it, it sounds just like a, you know, a banging drum. Um, you know, our children, when they were young, and maybe you can relate to that, you know, there was a couple drawers we wouldn't put the child locks on, and one of them was a wooden spoon. Can't really hurt yourself with a wooden spoon, right? And some of the pots and pans. And... Ethan, in particular, loved to crawl over there and open it up and take a spoon and start banging on the pots. I don't know. That's how I think of clanging, you know, drums and cymbals or something like that. But, you know, it's just, it's just making noise. That's the point here. 
So without love, what that beautiful gift is, is nothing more than just, you know, a toddler beating on, a, on a, an empty pot. It just is pretty much meaningless. So something that's wonderful and beautiful and great, without the right attitude, we would say today, without the right, you know, motive behind it, then it's, it's meaningless. And what we want to see here is today is the attitude counts. Our motives behind how we do things, in the gifts we've been given, how we apply them, how we use them, our motive behind it is incredibly important to our Heavenly Father. We can't just say, well, I did that, check the box, or I have that, and okay, I did this, and I did that. You know, He wants the motive and our heart behind it to match the action of the gift and how we're using it. It's, it's, it's just all but critical, or else it's just pretty much worthless. And he even goes on to say here, and I kind of think he's saying the same thing. You know, he says a gift of tongues of men and of angels. And to me, it seems like, you know, there is also an angelic language here. Uh, and maybe it's the language spoken in heaven. It doesn't give us any more information than what we have here. Uh, this is the sole kind of mention of, uh, of that. Um, and, and could very well be, you know, Paul saying, listen, you, you know, not only the gifts of tongues that you can speak uh, to our Heavenly Father, but, you know, seeming like it's separate and assuming that's correct, you know, even if you had something like the, that angelic language and maybe quite possibly the language of heaven, even if you had that and could speak that and understand that and, and do all that, even that without love is, is again, meaningless. It's like banging on a drum, hitting a pot with a wooden spoon. Our heart counts. Our motives behind using them is important to the Lord in in every way. There has to be a sense of love with it or it's useless. And then he says, verse 2, if we have the gift of prophecy. And and notice it, and, and understand all mysteries. You know, you can understand all mysteries. I mean, that's a huge, sweeping, encompassing statement, right? You know, you, if you have this gift of prophecy, and, and, and again, we talked about it speaking forth, but also speaking of the future. Um, and let's say you could understand, and let's say you could speak for, uh, 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 you know, of future things in very prophetic sense and speak and, and know of future things. Let's say you're like... Um, an Elijah or uh, Ezekiel or uh, an Isaiah or, or even Daniel, right? Just think of those guys. You know, think you, you could speak all those prophetic things those, those great prophets spoke and, and you could understand everything. And we know those guys couldn't really understand much of what they were saying and the application and what it, what it meant all the time and, and a lot of it. Um, and you could understand that, and you had those prophetic revelations, and you possessed that, knew all mysteries, but without love in your heart, and the reason that you understand those and know those things, and if you're, you know, was just, let me get on television, or look what I know, or look at the gift that God gave me, and I could tell you what's going to happen, and how things are going to transpire in the future, and God's giving me glimpses of all these things. If your heart wasn't I'm doing this for the love of, of your people, 
uh, uh, Father, I'm doing this so that they might grow, that they might be encouraged, that they might be excited about your work. You know, that heart of love, that passion to reach the lost, maybe they'll be warned and they'll They'll see these things and they'll, you know, they'll come to, to know you because of that. If we don't have that heart and it's just academic or it's just to lift up, you know, look at me, look what I know, look at the gifts I have. He said it's, it's nothing. It's meaningless. It, it's meaningless. And faith, or then he mentions knowledge as well. You know, you had all knowledge. Or if you have all faith so that I could remove mountains. You, you know, if I had all these, no, I understood all mysteries, I, I, I had knowledge about everything. I mean, the Lord given me insight. We talked about the gift of knowledge. I had insight on so many things, on, well, on everything. You know, He encompassed it all. Without love, it is nothing. And if I have all faith, and, you know, that I can remove mountains. Remember, Jesus, you know, said, if you just have the, the faith, the tiniest bit of faith, you can move mountains. And I think that's exactly what, what Paul's picking up here. You have that amount of faith, that working faith, that could move a mountain, literally, but if you didn't do that with the right heart and the right motive and the right attitude of love, he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to show you uh, whatever, whoever, or, you know, look at me, I can, you know, Great things could be done. Um, without that, again, it is nothing. You know, you could, if you had the faith to move Mount Madonna right behind us there and say, you know what, I wanted you to make a little bit of a jetty out there by Santa Cruz or, you know, uh, fill in a little bit there so we have a little better surf or something like that, right? And you had the faith to, to, to do that. But if your motive behind it wasn't love and your attitude wasn't what's the best for for uh, the body of Christ and, and, and for people, then he said it's nothing. It, it, it's, it's, it's worthless. And again, without love, it means nothing. The person is nothing. The gift is of no consequence. Now, I like this quote, and I'll put it up here. The, the problem with uh, the problem at, the, uh, at Corinth, uh, so often elsewhere, was that the Corinthians had fallen in love with their gifts. That kind of thing often happens. It is possible to love one's denomination more than the body of Christ, or to love one's doctrine more than we love the Lord. And, and I think that's important for to remember because, again, you know, there is that. You, you fall in love with, wow, look what the Lord's given me to do and, and the blessings that come along with that. And, you know, we, we don't really get down to what, what's my motive behind this? What's my heart in doing this? Um, or, you know, this is what the denomination teaches that I should, you know, uh, speak in tongues in this way or have this gift or, or do this thing. And, you know, I do it because I know I'm supposed to do it, but, but my heart is, is not there, it's not in it. I do it because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Or, you know, because you, you like this doctrine so much, it's this pet thing and you're, you're pushing, you know, your agenda in that way. He said all that is, is, makes it meaningless. Um, again, what does that really mean, all this, to us in this room today? You know, what does that really mean? 
You're spiritual, you have great knowledge, you can teach, you can serve, you can give, you can do. Uh, in many ways, you know, you're really a, a blessing to the body of Christ. Um, but how do I, what is my attitude behind when I do those things? When I give, when I serve, when I teach, when I help, when I, uh, you know, minister to somebody in this way. What is my motive behind that? And if a person is miserable or moody or a sour lemon, they look like they just sucked on a lemon, or if a person is rude or crass, you know, it means that when the effect of that gift working in their life doesn't add up to much. You know, again, he, he, he wants and it's important to, to have the right attitude. We just don't want to be the person that, you know, is always right. That's not a heart of love. Well, let me, you know, sit down and talk to you about this or that or whatever. And, you know, I believe the Lord's given me knowledge and application for, for, you know, this portion of scripture or in this area that we're dealing with in the country today or the war in Ukraine or the presidential issues or this or that. And, you know, but if, what, if, if I have that insight and my heart is just to show you what I know, or let me just kind of blow you out of the water or to prove you wrong because I'm right and you're wrong, then, then no matter what you do, the Lord says that just that counts for nothing. And if we're moody and miserable and sour or, or rude in some way, you know, those, that's not the working of the gifts that, that is the heart of the Lord. Our attitude counts. The motivation behind us is important to the Lord. <clears throat> And again, uh, we need to understand that. He makes it very clear here. And so now we move from the gifts that you know, he gives to us that require love to now some of the actions in our faith. And so verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now he list these two deeds that are nothing short of incredible sacrifice, right? Giving everything away and sacrificing your life, okay? I mean, they have to be number one and two, right? Arguably, right? You know, if you're willing to give, you know, the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he said, you know, do this, this, and that. Oh, I keep all those commandments. Okay, well, what you're really lacking here is, you know, you need to sell all you have, give to the poor, and then just come and follow me. And, of course, we know that rich young ruler went away sad because he had much and he was respected by much and he wasn't willing to, willing to trade that. But let's say he was. We're told here that, you know, if you give all that away and you're expecting to be recognized for it, or your motive is to, well, I better be put to the, you know, the A, A pass into heaven or the A list from Jesus or, you know, have all this and get all this or something. He said, then that sacrifice means nothing. It just means nothing. You know, uh, or, you know, if, if, our lives were called to account and, and the government said somebody has to pay for this Christianity and you, you know, we're going to take that guy from the church and you say, no, 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 uh, I'm going to step forward. You can take me, you can burn me at the stake or behead me or whatever it is, right? You can do that. 
And, and, but if our heart isn't love for others, for the body of Christ, and our motives aren't correct, then he says even that means nothing. I, let's think of it this way, because I think this is the way to think about it. Let's say you witnessed those two situations. Let's say you witnessed somebody giving everything up to follow Christ. Literally everything they had and owned and everything, and that's it, and they're going to follow Christ. Or let's say you witnessed somebody willing to go there in China, North Korea, whatever, someplace in the Middle East, wherever there's a great persecution, and you know, willingly allowing them to be put to death over somebody else. Let's say you, you saw one or both of those events. Now, Typically, what we would do when we saw that, we would say, that guy, that gal, that person, now, you want to talk about spiritual. You want to talk about ants on my arm. Sorry. <laughs> you, want to, you want to talk about, I was wondering, uh, you want to talk about, um, uh, you know, somebody that's, man, that's just got to be up there next to Moses and Joseph and Abraham and, you know, maybe even above these guys, you know, way up there. This is the guy that, you know, has got to be at the top of, of, of spirituality here. And, you know, they, they're just, just by those actions alone, we would put them at the top of the list, right? But that's not the true spiritual credentials. That's what he's saying here. That alone isn't true spiritual credentials that they're really spiritual it has to be measured in love not in the sacrifice because attitude matters that much to god what's our motive it has to be love or nothing that that's a pretty shocking thing because i think all of us would say wow you know whoa look at that person the lord says well i'm looking at the heart and that's the true measure not their actions. Uh, here's another quote I thought was, uh, oh man, how did I get them out of order? Um, uh, each thing described in, uh, <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 is a good thing. Tongues are good, prophecy and a knowledge and faith are good. Sacrifice is good. But love is so valuable, so important that apart from it, Every other good thing is useless. I like that. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, sacrifice are all good, but without love, they're considered useless. And maybe it helps us to think in these terms too about this. You know, we all know about works, and I think we would look at uh, the person that goes uh, to church um, as their religious obligation. And maybe we've been there, maybe we've seen people, you know, I show up to church on Sunday, I check the box, you know, I throw, you know, a $20 bill in the offering plate as it's passing by, I check that box, you know, I, I do this thing, you know, maybe on certain holidays I show up to church, I, and I try not to do this, and I try to do this, and I, you know, I, I give, you know, to the homeless guy outside of Target, and I try to help people when I can, and, you know, I think most of us, you know, look at that, and we look at the, you know, religious works and say, well, yeah, um, that's good, and fine, and right, and great, and all that, but, you know, it's, it's really uh, not your works, 
and those works in, uh, that, that, the, that the Father's looking for, um, uh, He wants us to have a relationship with Him. I mean, all of us see that worked in those ways before. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to have this you know, one-on-one relationship with you. And it's not just about checking the boxes and going through the motions. He's not interested in, in that. He wants this intimate, personal relationship that comes through your faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, paying for our sins, and you become you know, His child, and you become the bride of Christ. And He wants that. And... Um, you know, so so we look at those and say, well, you're you know you're you're missing an important piece, or we might look at those who try to earn God's favor, you know, or they're or they're trying to avoid the lightning bolt. So you do this out of well, you know, I don't want to be punished by God, and you know, in some way, and they can be very uh, superstitious, and we can look at that and say, man, that's just the wrong motivation. That's really kind of the wrong heart, but. And I think we can sort through those things today here pretty pretty simply, and we look at those things. But what we also need to do, and, and we work in those areas and talk to those people and encourage them and show them really you know, what the Father desires, but the same application goes for us. You know, we do spiritual things uh, and, um, and, you know, are part of the body of Christ and use these gifts and doing these, but we also need to examine ourselves and each other and saying, what's my motivation behind it? Is it really love? Is it really, I'm thinking of others. Is Why I'm doing this is because, you know, my motivation is my love for you, my love for the church, my love for, for your people, because Lord, you sure love your people. You know, your love is beyond what I can understand, and I want to be on that train. I want to have that same heart towards people. I, I want to have that love. And that's what the Father's looking for. So we need to look at our own motivations as well. Sometimes it's easy to point out those things, and as we should, I'm not saying that's wrong, but we also need to check our own. You know, what is my heart behind this? What is my motivation? What's my attitude? Is it sour grapes and, you know, I have to do this and I have to do this? Or, or is it love? Now, at this point, I guess I should probably define love because that's what Paul's going to do in the next few verses. But let me put that slide back up because it, it talks about the words used for love. And I think, you know, if you've been to church more than a half a second, you've probably heard talk about the Greek words for love. Because, again, our English language comes short. I love my dog, Buddy. You know, I, I love Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Uh, I love going to the beach. Um, I love my daughter. You know, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I love my wife. And obviously, um, and my son, you know, I love this person, right? My sisters, whatever. And obviously talking about a chicken sandwich or a dog or the beach or something, you know, we just say, I love. And of course, in the, uh, the, the Greek of the, of the New Testament, not talking about the Hebrew, because they actually had different words for love too, but just because we are in the New Testament, I'll just stick, it with that, stick to that. They, they use, really, I guess there's probably five words, and some of them are a little bit just different than the other, and, but I won't go into that. The first one is that eros. Uh, it's passionate love. It's sexual love. But that's not even used in, in the New Testament at all. Okay, That word 
is, was in the Greek language, but that's not even part of um, what the New Testament talks about. But it is a word that they use. It's that passion. It's that love. It's, you know, you can see arose, how we get the word erotica from, and that kind of stuff, all that, right? You can see where it comes from. The next one is um, um, phileo, which is this natural affection. It's, again, it, as it says here, uh, you could think of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, because that's the word it, it, it came from. And so it's a natural affection. You have um, more feeling than reason, as a, as a Baker Encyclopedia puts it. You know, there's that kind of love. Then there's storgate, which is a natural affection between uh, kinfolk, your children, your parents, your sibling. And again, there's different compounds that's used in that way but just think of that word of meaning you know love within your family and how you feel towards those in your very close and immediate family right and then the final one which is used here most of the time or is used here in first corinthians 13 is agape and i'm just kind of giving them the english translation i'm not giving you the greek translation I'm not saying them in the proper dialect, but just for our sake. You know, it means to this love, as it says here, undeservingly, despite disappointment and rejection. It's a selfless love. It's love given um, without expecting anything in return. And I, I kind of go over those quickly because most of us are very familiar with that. But the love that we're talking about here is that selfless love. It, it You know, um, it doesn't completely... Uh, uh, obviously, the love of God is it goes beyond the agape love, um, but you know it is used in certain places in the, in the New Testament that it speaks about God's love being that way, and that's probably the closest description that we have, or certainly in the Greek language of of the love of God. But it's not exclusive to that. Just just so you might know. But that's the kind of love he's talking about here. It's the love that you give without expecting anything in return. It, it, it's, it's undeserving. Uh, they don't necessarily deserve it. I'm not responding because they showed me love. No, that's, that's the different kind of love. It's the love that I do regardless of what people say or do or how they react or what I get in return. It's not based on that at all. It's a selfless love. And, and that's the love that we're talking about here in this chapter. So, okay, Pastor, great and wonderful. What does this love look like? How do I know what love is? You've been talking about my motive and my, you know, it has to be love and I have to do it this way because you care about, uh, the Father cares about our attitude and has to be in love. So what is love? Well, it's certainly not the TV, the movie definition of love, right? I mean, we all... Uh, have are bombarded with that in our society, right? Well, this is love. Let me show you what love is. Is you know the guy and the girl, although not so much in our society anymore, running on the beach in slow motion to each other, and then you know wind up in this great embrace on the beach at the sunset, and the music's playing in the background or something. You know, not that kind of movie and television love and all that kind of stuff. This is how the Lord defines love. What does it look like? How does it play out? And so verse 4 says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then verse 8 says, love never fails. Here you go. Here's what love looks like. The love that we've been talking about, the love that we've been describing in the first few verses that we've been talking about. Um, again, this is what it looks like. Because knowledge alone isn't sufficient. Love must be added to knowledge, right? Understanding alone is not love enough. Love must be added to it. And, you know, we need to remember this inside and outside the church. Um, you can have knowledge, right? And you can crush or confuse a person because you lack love. And then if you do that, or you want to win an argument, or you want to prove that you're right, and a lot of us like to do that, certainly. But what have we gained? Well, you walk away thinking, well, I'm right. Yeah, you can go home with that wonderful thought. I blew them out of the water. I made them look like they were nothing, and I, you know, this and that, and I really won that argument or something. What do you get? In the end, you get that thought in your mind, and that's about it. Because love isn't full of oneself. Love isn't uh, about, um, you know, having this great list of, you know, look at, you know, this and this list of what I've done and what I've accomplished and what I've been through and all this. You know, love is not like that. It suffers long and is kind, right? It, it, it does not parade itself. It, it's not puffed up. You know, I, I, that's one of the reasons I believe that there's so many great people that have loved the Lord, served the Lord, and be used greatly by the Lord that came from very humble backgrounds. Because love isn't puffed up. You know, Paul will say, as we read before, you know, not many wise, not many noble, not many, uh, not many wise, not many noble, not many rich are called for God despises the uh, Man, I can't quote that verse. Is that brain fail? Anyway, but he talks about that as there's not too many, but there is some wise and there are some rich that obviously come to war. There's not many, but there are a few. But the majority of them, you know, not, not puffed up. Just think of, you know, I think of the Billy Sunday, you know, who was kind of a crash, you know, rough cut guy that went around and preached everywhere, but just came from, you know, very humble beginnings, this little two-room house that he grew up with very poor and was in an orphanage and with his brother and just didn't have anything and, and, and yet God used him in a powerful way or even back before him William Carey you know just uh, was made shoes you know uh, and, and how God used him or even I think of more modern maybe J. Vernon McGee you know I don't know if you ever heard of his his story um, but, you know, his dad dying young and them being poor in Oklahoma and just not having anything. He couldn't even pay for school. And if it wasn't for the, the um, generosity of a couple older ladies in the town, he wouldn't have, you know, been able to do anything. I mean, just very poor, not puffed up. You know, it's, it's not full of oneself. Love isn't like that. It suffers long and is kind. And it doesn't envy, oh, look what they got. And it doesn't like, look at me. And it's not puffed up. And, and what else does it look like? Verse 5 again, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. 
you know, doesn't act rudely. Now, that's if your actions and your facial expressions or what's in your heart, do they line up? <laughs> you know, your action might be doing this, but man, the whole time you're saying this is miserable, I hate it, I have to do it, I have to, you know, deal with this, I have to take care of this, and you just got this sour lemon face, or you have that kind of thinking in your heart, um, no matter what you think is a good justification for doing that, right? Well, I have a good reason for doing that because I feel this way and this is going on and that happened and that person did this so I can run around with this, you know, I'm doing it, but I got the, you know, I, I don't have a good attitude about this. We're told here it's never right. Or, or if there's some selfish undertone or desire in what we say or do, it's not love. Well, I'll, you know, it, it, we call that flattery. Well, I'll say that to that person so they'll do this or they'll be nice to me or they'll help me out in this area or they'll be a part of this or they'll do this or something. That's not love at all. It, it doesn't seek its own at all. Here's another quote I like. It says this, Love is never satisfied, but in all the welfare, comfort, and salvation of all. That man is no Christian who is solicitous for his own happiness alone and cares not how the world goes so that himself be comfortable. And I know that's written in kind of an antiquated language, but again, it's, it's not about that. It's not about, you know, who's thinking of their own self, their own happiness, their own comfort and all this. Love does not seek its own. That's what we're told. That's what it looks like. You want to know what it looks like? Well, how do I love in that area when I'm using this gift and doing this? Well, here's what it's going to look like. And of course, we have Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Again, that something that we, you know, it's not here that it's limited to, obviously. There's other places in, in the New Testament. But it says in Philippians 2, each of you should not look uh, only to your own interests, but also the interests of others, that your attitude should be the same that uh, same as that of Christ Jesus. And of course, you might know that that scripture continues on to say how Jesus came to earth and humbled himself as a man and left all the glory and left all that he had so that he might, you know, be our salvation, pay for our sins. And that's, he said, this is way we should be looking at others and have that same kind of heart. That's what love looks like. And it's not provoked. I get provoked so easily, constant, you know, fail in that way. And your newer translations may say it's not suspicious. But true love trusts. It's not suspicious, it trusts. And it thinks no evil. Let me put it this way. Do you always give the benefit of the doubt of a person or are you always looking at the dark side? You know, um, do we always look at what's wrong? Or we always point out, you know, our, our natural suspicion is always that, you know, there's something wrong with that. Or do we kind of default on, you know what, I, I don't know the whole story. I don't really know what's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that's what love does. It gives the benefit of the doubt. It trusts. You know, it's not provoked. And then verse 6 says, It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You know, um, 
it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. In other words, when you see something wrong, uh, you know, a, a couple in bed in movies that just met at some bar or something, or, you know, this person's looking for revenge or someone who is speaking trash stories or jokes about this or that or something bad, you know, what do we do? Do we laugh along or do we get amused or entertained by those things that are wrong and, and evil? Or, or are we like, man, that just hits right here. Oh man, that's just so wrong. That's what love looks like. And, and we rejoice in the truth. Oh man, the truth is said. Oh, I can't believe that the newspaper or the news said that story. The truth came out. Oh, you know, right? who knew that could ever happen? Could published in the paper or on the news or something. The truth, wow, that's good. Finally, the truth came out. And we rejoice in the truth. That's love. And finally, it says here, it bears all things in verse 7. And if you're an underliner, I'm sure that's already underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, it bears all things. It means you take it all. First uh, Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's what love does. And we love each other deeply. It bears all things. You know, it, it doesn't point out the sins. It doesn't run down the sin. It doesn't run down the sinner. Not that you can't speak the truth and do the right thing. Of course, we have all that in here. But, but, but again, you know, that love has got the heart of restoration and correction and instruction and edification and all exhortation and all those things. And these four things are so powerful when they work together, right? You know, if you bear, believe, and hope, and endure all things for love's sake, those are a powerful foursome. I mean, put those four together, and they work so powerfully together. And here's another quote I like. It says, most of us can bear all things and believe all things and hope all things, but only for a while. The greatness of agape love is it keeps on bearing, believing, and hoping. It doesn't give up. It destroys enemies by turning them into friends. And what a great heart that is for each other in the church. Because we can rub each other the wrong way. Because we can have this and we can have a bad attitude and we can all those things happen. But when we... When we, in love, bear, believe, and hope, and endure all things, you know, there, 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 there isn't any chance that they won't be welcome and desire to be close and to come back and to be friends and all that kind of thing because love just has that power. And I personally take verse 8, or at least the first three words, love never fails, I really take that as a promise. When we have this heart, it will not fail. I really believe that. I just, you know what? It's a promise. Love never fails. If we in our heart do these things in love and have this attitude in love, it's not going to fail. It is going to pay back and it's always going to have this return. Now you might be saying, you might be thinking, well, how in the world do I do this? You know? 
How, how in the world does this happen? How in the world can I possibly attain this? I got, got home and a lot of work to do. Well, I, I like the verse that we have for our church in John 15, 5, and I'll, I'll put it up there. You know, Jesus said, whoever abides in him, uh, abides in me and I in him, will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And how do we bear fruit? By abiding in our Savior Jesus and He and I. How are these things accomplished? We stay close to Jesus. We see Jesus' heart. We say, you know, people mock that whole thing. It was a real good thing. You know, I thought it was good. That what would Jesus do? And then, of course, you know, then people did all sorts of crazy things to mock that. But I think that was a, that's a good way to think about things. What would Jesus do in this? What would he do? How would he say? How would he react? Because he is love. You know, the definition, one of the definitions of God is he is love. Jesus came to represent and show God in human flesh. This is the heart of the Father. Here it is. So we abide in him and he and I, that's how we accomplish those things. We walk close to our Lord and our Savior, and we will bear that fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, as we just read, is love. And again, these are all about the attitudes of our heart and what's going on inside, the, inside of our, our lives, inside of us as a person, because that matters to, the, to our Father. Well, let's finish up with this. Rest of verse 8, but whether there are prophecies, well, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, well, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perf- uh, that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, I, I will make this a little bit of a note here, just so that you know, and you can do your own research on that, but a lot of um, conservative and what I would consider otherwise very great Bible teachers will use this verse and these verses to talk about um, how the miraculous gifts ended with the apostles and uh, you know John MacArthur is one of them um, you know Wearsby they're just there's just so many of them <laughs> and, and they're good Bible teachers but they get it really wrong here and this is uh, they use the word will cease, and they take that verb, and then they just go too far with it, and they read way too much into it. If you clearly read it for what it is, it, they, you can't get it out, what they're saying out of it. But I'm only mentioning that and not going to put a big argument, uh, uh, um, pro and cons on either side of this, but I do mention that so that you might know that. But, but the heart of the passage here, if you just read it as we're reading it and setting it just as we're studying it, prophecy, tongues, and words of knowledge will all vanish one day. Why? Well, because we'll have the Bible and we don't need them anymore, as a lot of these Bible teachers will say. No, we'll be in heaven. I mean, pretty clearly, if you read this, it's just pretty clearly what it's going to be speaking of. You know, we're not going to need words of edification, exhortation, or comfort because everybody's going to be perfectly comforted. Everybody's going to be perfectly edified in heaven. No longer will we need any of those things in heaven. Unknown tongues will vanish because everything will be known in heaven. (laughs) Words of knowledge will just be swallowed up because we'll have perfect knowledge in heaven when we see Jesus, the perfect one. So yeah, these things are something we'll use now, and eventually all of it will go away when we get to heaven. They will. 
and the Jesus, the perfect one, comes. We'll see clearly everything, and we'll see all that. As a matter of fact, he continues on in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So there was a change. That's what is said here. Like, I was once a child, and we all know what it's like to be child. You know, um, Ethan, when he was younger, and because he's in here, I get to pick on him more. He liked Pokemon cards, right? And uh, it's funny, we collected them, and we go to Target. Now they don't even sell them at Target because kids fight over them, so they have to buy them online. And we were talking to our neighbors who's got a little boy, you know, four or five years old, and he's all into Pokemon cards. And we were saying, oh, yeah, I remember when Ethan was all into Pokemon cards and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and now you talk to Ethan about Pokemon cards. You might look at it and go, oh, cool, I remember that. But you know what Ethan says? I, I want to go surfing now. <laughs> I want a new surfboard, right? Pokemon is not fun anymore. It was good when you're three or four or five or whatever, six or seven. That's all great here. But, you know, I, I've moved way past that. I'm, I've gone on more. And, and again, I don't want to play with them as an adult because everything will change one day. Playing with a hose is fun for a child, but not for an adult, right? I'd rather go be on the beach or surf. I mean, put those things away. Eventually, all these things that we're using are going to be put away when we go into heaven. Because verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known just also, I'm sorry, just as I also am known. So again, we can't fully see Jesus. So, you know, uh, not in this poorly reflected image because uh, he is not here. So we have the need for these gifts and they're important, and they're to be used in the church, and they have a great effect on the church that we talked about, and love behind them just makes this huge, powerful force. And they're very important. But one day, the need for the gifts will vanish. And so the gifts will pass away. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit will be far overshadowed by the presence of Jesus. You know, as one person uh, put it, I like this, when the sun rises, we turn off the lesser lights. And I think that's so true. And there's many questions that we have today about many things, right? We see in a mirror dimly, but eventually we'll, we'll know, right? We'll see face to face. I'm known in part, but eventually we'll know just as we're known. You know, we have questions. One of my questions is, how did COVID start really? Come on, <laughs> right? Who is a what really happened? No, I'm just kidding. That's kind of a funny one. But you know, again, one day there'll be no more questions because everything will become clear. And finally, and I like the end of verse 12, if you're an underliner, we will be known as we are known. I like that. We know in part, but then we'll know just as I'm also known. We're known by the Father he knows everything about us, and one day we will know as well. And also, uh, I believe in heaven, we will know everyone. I mean, when Jesus says there's no, no longer going to be marriage and given in marriage in heaven, we'll be like the angels and all that, people get a little confused by that. And, and I, I personally, I'm not confused by that because I look at it and I say, you know what? What it is is, is great and wonderful and is 
beautiful as marriage is on this earth, he's got something better for that. He has something more intimate and something closer and, and greater than we can experience here. That's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest intimacy we can face in this, or we can have in this world today is between a man and a woman in marriage, but that's nothing compared to what heaven is going to be like. And we are going to, uh, just as we're known in heaven, we will know everyone as well. What a great thing that is to remember. We're known and we'll know well. We see dimly, we get pieces, we get parts of it. You know, eventually all that's going to be put away because we're going to be in heaven and everything's going to be perfect. And he finishes up with this. And now abide faith, hope, and hope. I'm sorry, now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So faith and hope which are of great value now, will be unnecessary in heaven. Uh, you know, again, some people argue that you can't truly love uh, the Lord as intended without faith and hope. Because, you know, a person will be weighed down by fear, which is a faith killer, right? Or worry too much, thinking only of today and what might happen. That kills our hope. It really does. We can't allow our, our, our faith to be killed by fear and our hope to be killed by worry and thinking only of today. But again, everyone is characterized by the love uh, that carries this eternal mark. Do we carry that eternal mark of love? Because the spiritual gifts will cease one day. As a matter of fact, everything else would. But you know what's going to endure forever is love. It's love. And again, we should be those that think in those terms and pray that our heart might be united with the Lord in love and His love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this chapter. And boy, we could have spent uh, six weeks, eight weeks or more just looking at it, Lord. But I, I know it's good to look at the whole thing in, in, one, in one piece as well. And Lord, I pray that we would just uh, learn so much from this, that, you, that motive matters to you. What's going on inside of our heart, our attitude towards things, is, is just so important. It, it's integral to, you know, to everything that we do and, and what we act, what we say, how we live, how we use the gifts. You know, even these greatest sacrifices mean nothing without love. And may that be the measuring stick in our hearts, not to judge others, but for ourselves. What's my motive behind this? Why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? And if we feel like our motives aren't right, Father, we can always go to you and say, Lord, change my heart. Give me the right heart for this. Help me not to have this attitude towards this person. Help me not to think this way about them or, or, or think of myself greater than I should be or, wow, look at me and I have this and all that. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us not to be puffed up. Help us to reflect all these attributes and what love looks like. And may that work out in all the things and the gifts that you give us, Lord. One day this will all disappear. We'll be in heaven. It'll be perfect. We'll be free of all these things. But until that day, Lord, help us to be lovers. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, you guys. We will continue on with our role.